And then they reached out to me and they were like, well, the comp soup is happy with you and he wants you to come along on the next project. So I'm like, oh, cool. What's the next project? Uh, and then Spider-Man. And I'm like, uh... <laughs> Yeah, that's actually a good thing because, yeah, it's, anyways, you'll see why. Okay. okay. All right. Hey, everybody. It's Cameron here, and uh, Kevin's with me, as you can see. Uh, and we have a guest today. So it's not just Kevin and I, you know, talking at each other uh, for another episode. It's episode seven of Framework, the last podcast about film. We're actually, uh, we're actually available on Stitcher. Um, which is kind of cool because I didn't know that that thing existed. You know, it's kind of interesting. Today's an exciting episode. Um, we're going to hopefully keep our episode to about an hour. Our guest is uh, he's an amazing guy uh, and he does some really excellent work. So I think you're going to learn a lot about um, this particular part of the industry and that part of the industry that we're going to look at today is uh, visual effects. We are going to use a recent release, Marvel's recent release, Spider-Man No Way Home, came out on December 17th, I think. It's written by Chris McKenna, Eric Sommers, directed by John Watts. So we've got, um, we've got a friend of mine on the podcast, Elmo, Mr. Elmotisum. Uh, he's Hello. a good friend of mine. Hi, Elmo. He's a good friend of mine. We met in film school. Um, I think the first year was 2015. So, uh, you know, I've, I've known you for about six years, I would say is probably the most accurate. I've known you yeah. for about six years. We've had a history of we've done some projects together. Um, you, you are, you are, you're talented. You're known in our circles as the Egyptian magician. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's translated into, you know, where you are now and in your workplace. Maybe not because not <laughs> maybe, well, there's lots of magicians over there at SPI, right? Yeah. So that's, that's, that's awesome. But I, I won't take away your opportunity to introduce yourself. So Elmo, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell the audience a bit about yourself. Um, and I'll, well, I'll, I'll give you some time to do that. Cool. Um, hello, I'm Elmo. Um, I am a visual effects compositor. So my brother likes to put it, uh, simply, uh, in that I do Photoshop for video. <laughs> Basically I like make things that, uh, don't usually mesh together, mesh together so that they look like they're one thing. If that makes sense, we'll, we'll go deeper into it as we go. But yeah, um, I was born in Egypt. I'm Egyptian Canadian and 24 years old. Yeah. And I work at Sony Imageworks. Uh, I worked on Spider-Man No Way Home as well. So yeah, we'll get some inside information on that. <laughs> yeah, that's the lead. That you, you know, you almost buried the lead there. Like, yeah, yeah. We are the same age. Yeah. You uh, currently, yeah, you you're currently um, in Vancouver working yeah. at Sony Pictures ImageWorks. I have the visual effects supervisor I have here from IMDb. I'm gonna botch the name. Uh, I just took the one from Sony Pictures Imageworks, Chris, right? That's the guy, Chris yeah. Wagner or Wigner. Uh, Wagner, yeah. Wagner, yeah. 
So that's yeah. a visual effects supervisor. But it's funny because I looked on we looked on IMDb and there's like there's like 15 or 30 of them. It's like there's a bunch, yeah. right? Because there's a bunch <laughs> of companies. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Marvel has their own visual effects supervisor because that's probably that was probably the person who was on set, right? I would imagine. Uh, it's uh yeah i think it's the person that's on set and it's also like the overall visual effects supervisor yeah so yeah. each each of those that you mentioned that are listed on imdb are supervising like all the departments within each studio yeah and then the visual effects supervisor on the client side so on marvel's side is kind of overlooking all the different studios at the same time um yeah, and see, that's such an interesting thing to me. Like, my mind is blown when I see how many people, are, you know, work on these movies. And, um, you know, I think it's something like 1,600 people worked on on this movie. It had a $200 million budget. And the opening weekend, it, it, it made $260 million. So that's... Whoa. That's... Uh, you, they made their budget back in 72 hours. Can you imagine? <laughs> Yeah. And worldwide <laughs> up until today, which is the date of recording, which is February 12th, it made $1.7 billion worldwide. So that is a successful movie. It's the third movie in the John Watts Spider-Man uh, trilogy, which, as far as we know, is concluded. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Kevin over there what? kevin feige or feig or feige i've heard many different i still don't know how to pronounce his name most of people most people pronounce this kevin feige feige kevin feige is yeah, doing feige. really well for himself oh yeah definitely. i think kevin feige makes 82 cents a second well quick fact enough. check that so uh that's about 26 million dollars a year so that's a pretty so i mean you know, we're uh, we're falling into the trap of looking at a movie as being successful because of how much money it's making. But th that's not necessarily the only way to look at it. But again, that's not what we're going to talk about. It's just an interesting um, introduction to the movie because um, it's uh, it, it was incredible. It was a spectacle. I watched it. Kevin and I watched it together. Yeah. So I guess. You know, tell us a little bit a bit more about Sony Pictures, um, Sony Imageworks in Vancouver. How big is it? You know, what is it? What is your you know daily routine like? Do you go into the office? Or are you remote? Like, what? Just tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. So, uh, Sony Imageworks is uh, a pretty big studio uh, here in Vancouver. They have uh, an LA branch and. They're uh, opening up in Montreal as well. Like they have artists working from Montreal right now. Um, when I joined, it was a team of 600 people, 600 plus. Uh, the last number I heard was 700 plus, something like that. Um, and yeah, we, we have like, uh, we take everything like we do um some previs we uh have everything from like modeling to to like compositing and packaging everything so we're a full vendor um and the way it's been it, the way it's worked for for me as a compositor is 
we like to keep shots within like the same people who are familiar with the shots. So in other studios, for example, you would have situations where um, you would work on a shot, uh, submit a version, and then someone else might pick up that same shot afterwards after like you've moved on to something else. Uh, but for for me, how it's worked for me is if I have a shot, I'll take it from like the beginning sections of oh bashing it together, getting a first look together uh, with all the elements that uh, are there then, and then um, back and forth doing notes. Um, basically, I'd submit shots and, and shot updates as I get elements. Uh, to work with, like uh, the elements could be uh, effects, dust simulations, or um, a, a lighting render of uh, a character uh, running and doing something, or the an environment render, um, or map painting for the backgrounds. Uh, there's a lot of variety of what kind of elements we would get. And then I bring them all together and it's an iterative process. So um, first I do like a bash. So uh, quickly put together something with all the elements, see where everything sits, if anything's missing. And then we get a first look. So that's with everything uh, more balanced um, together. But like the edges don't have to be perfect and um, there's room for improvement, uh, in the integration, uh, but it's kind of get setting the tone basically, uh, of the shot or where every, where we want everything to be, what we want the general colors color palette to be that kind of thing. And then, uh, after the first look, we do versions of, this is an update with like making it kind of work. And then the client might come back to us being like, uh, the background pole there is too red. Uh, can we can we back off on that? Can we rebalance it in this way? Can we remove this, add this? Like the note, whatever the notes might be, I take that, make it work uh, with the elements. And then uh, we, we basically aim to get a studio final um, or um, approval, like uh, creative approval. So creative approval means, okay, the shot is in a good spot. Now we do, we make sure it's technically correct. And on a technical level, everything is perfect. Um, And that's the next step of quality control and creating mats for color correction to then use if they want to color correct things differently. Um, They have mats for that uh, so that they can isolate. Uh, so that's created during quality control. And then it's submitted for final and approved. Sometimes it's unfinaled. Sometimes uh, things happen. But yeah, that's generally the process of like the life of a shot from right, right. when it and lands on my desk. Yeah, and you're yeah. talking about modeling to compositing and previs and all that stuff. And so and so you're yeah. for some of the audience members who might not know what you're talking about, that's kind of like the general... Yeah what you're referring to is a general visual effects pipeline is who it goes to first. And then, and then it comes to you sort of last, right? I mean, like the compositor doesn't 
doesn't get there first, so to speak, right? So that's actually part of what I what I did want to ask you about, which I was I'm curious about too. This is not something that you know we've really gone into in depth about. Um, is is um, you know just describe just for in layman's terms, like describe the pi- pipeline. But before we go into that, let me let's just clarify a couple of things. When you say vendor, you're talking about Sony Pictures, ImageWorks, and when you say client, you're talking about Marvel. So Marvel being the you know the primary um, production uh, company, and so yeah. they're the client. So they're making all of the creative decisions. So when you when you say send for notes, it kind of goes up the hierarchy, and then from somebody at Sony, it'll be sent over to Marvel. Uh, yeah, and and Marvel will look at it, and 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 somebody at Marvel will will uh, approve it or or creatively approve it is basically what you're saying, right? Yeah, it, it kind of goes through multiple hierarchies in a way. Um, there's the hierarchy within ImageWorks itself, right? Um, yeah, so it doesn't go from have, you to like to Mr. Yeah, Kevin yeah. over there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's like me, the compositing supervisor, then uh, the visual effects supervisor within our studio, and then uh, there is like um, uh, then it goes on to the visual effects supervisor. The editor gets gets to look at it, uh, or editors. Um, and, uh, like all the people in the studio heads, um, and producers and like everyone, like who's affiliated with it on a managerial level kind of gets, gets to look at it. So there's, there's like 71 or 73 companies. And a lot of those companies are the, uh, the visual effects, uh, effects companies. And, um, So how does it how does the work get divided? Like, um, does Sony Sony I would imagine gets the biggest chunk of the film? Um, but you well, were saying uh, like uh, Sony is a vendor that that ha- is a full process vendor. But so does that mean that there are other vendors who focus on maybe just compositing and they'll focus on a sequence from the film, but just from a compositing standpoint? Yeah. So. Um, basically how it works within visual effects in general is, um, you have the movie, you cut it up into sequences, uh, basically like, um, uh, you can think of it as like beats, uh, or like beat sections. Um, those, uh, sequences are then uh displayed for visual effects um like uh, for all the visual effects vendors um and then there's a bidding process so each vendor um bids oh i can this sequence has 300 shots i can do that within this amount of time for this amount of money um and they calculate it based on their resources, their artists, um, and their specialties. Right. Uh, and Are yeah, all seven hundred people at SPI working on No Way Home. No. <laughs> no. 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 Yeah, I didn't think we so. Had a, but we were a pretty big team. Like our our compositing right. team alone was uh, at its peak was fifty um, something people. 
Yeah, I know. The, uh, there's a lot of names in the credits to that movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. sort of like, put it on three columns. We want to see the post credit scene. Come on. <laughs> hurry up. Hurry up. So before we got deeper into the, the, the discussion about the pipeline and more about your involvement in No Way Home, um, I want to just, this is this is a question I have for you. You were able to see the uh, the last episode where we talked about movies in 2021 and 2022 and what's coming up and what we're looking forward to. And in that episode, we, uh, Kevin and I, well, I wouldn't call it a debate because we, we didn't debate each other, but we, cause we didn't disagree too much. Usually when you say debate, you're, you're inferring disagreement, but, um, or on some level. So we had a discussion about, about subtitles, captions and subtitles, which are different. Yeah. Are, are technically mm. different, but um, uh, we we had a discussion. We, you know, in the discussion, we were referring to um, to subtitles. So, if uh, you know, for for somebody listening who doesn't know, we were talking about um, Kevin. Kevin and I are both um, anti subtitle if the environment is uh, suit. So, for example, right, if the movie's in English and it's mixed properly. And, uh, you know, there's no accessibility reason why we would have subtitles or captions. Then our opinion is subtitles take away from the enjoyment of the movie. And, um, you know, I said in a a couple of of aggressive ways, you know, if you want to read, get a book kind of thing. But, (laughs) you know, we we really our intention for this, um, you know, for the next few episodes of Framework, at least, is to ask our guests where they stand in subtitles. Do you watch with subtitles? Do you not watch with subtitles? Are you indifferent? You know, if if you have a strong-ish opinion on subtitles, why do you have that opinion? So, you know, in a in a short answer, we just we're curious to know where does Elmo stand in the subtitle debate? I I don't have a strong opinion about subtitles. Um, I think they have a lot of use when the situation is not perfect. Right. Uh, like you were mentioning last time in the last episode, how like if the audio is too low and you can't, you're not able to like increase it or the mix is, is hard to distinguish right. or that kind of thing. Or even in my case, most of the time it's when it's a foreign film. Um, so those, the, like in those situations, I would be completely left without an understanding of what's happening. Absolutely. And no, I, yeah. I would definitely prefer in those cases to have subtitles on than to have a dubbed version of yeah. whatever I'm watching if it's a foreign film. Yeah, there's a um, there's a different debate, like a sub yeah. category of debate, which is subtitles versus dubbed, uh, you know, subs versus dubs or subtitles versus yeah. dubbed audio. And that's a, that I would say that is a separate debate. Like this is just, you know, like, are you as anti as anti subtitle as I am? Like, I'm not I'm not, I, you know, if it's a foreign film, I don't want my opinion or Red Curtain Entertainment's opinion to discourage people from watching foreign films because I think you should. Um, and in which case, unless you speak the language of the foreign film, um, you'll, you'll need subtitles. There are, there are some examples, however, and this is partly because of my exposure to French, um, it, it, with French television, 
where the writing and the acting is done in a way, and I guess in a way the directing, the writing and the acting and the directing is done in a way where, you know, through, and French is a very emotional language. You can get the point even if you if you're not um, even if you don't have subtitles on. But that you know, there's no disagreement. But just having them on, you know, even in those situations, even uh, like um, although they're necessary, takes away from the experience because you're 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 splitting your attention. So, but yeah, that's um, I I definitely thought you weren't going to have a strong opinion because I think we might have had we might have talked about it before we definitely did yeah yeah but that's but uh but you know i think you know i want it to be sort of a through line in the next couple of episodes just ask people you know ideally we'll we'll ask people until we find somebody who puts subtitles on every time um i like it no i i like the that it's like a a nice little constant in the episodes. Yeah, yeah, because um, they're getting so yeah. different, right? I mean, we talked about insurance. We talked about cinematography. We're talking about right. visual effects. We talked about Scott Pilgrim, which was sort of from a visual story-breaking perspective and visual You're effects going all over the place. What do you mean? No, I'm turned in terms of the yeah. show. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. So the, sh- the framework's changing a lot. So we just wanted to have something that was consistent and. Aside from the format, which is we're going to have a guest on every, almost every episode. Um, yeah, so we can get back into kind of the no way home aspect of it. But I, cool. I wanted to stop for a second and, and ask you about that. So because I think it's interesting, hopefully a fun discussion for people in the comment section if they want to do that. OK, no way home. So in the in, you know, at the beginning, you said you're a compositor. And you you told us that uh, it's you know your brother simplifies it, simplifies it by calling it Photoshop for video, which is actually for people like myself or people who might not know what compositing is beyond what they've heard you say already. It's kind of a neat way of of looking at it in a way because it it it's, it distills it down to a level of understanding. I like how people actually refer to. VFX as Photoshop, like uh, compositing as Photoshop. Yeah. People who don't know yeah. 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 They, they call yeah. it Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Photoshop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. And it's a even oh, true. No Way Home. Yeah. Even like Andrew Garfield, when he was talking about the leak as being Photoshop. Yeah, they call like, it Photoshop. Oh, no, that's not, that's fake. Yeah. That's fake. Yeah. Um. So tell us a bit more about, about, your job and who you and and the people you work with is it very like you know is it is it a very is compositing not the whole visual effects pipeline but is compositing itself a solo thing or are there more than one compositors how many compositors did you have for no way home so tell us about that um aspect of it for specifically in the no way home instance in the no way home instance um we basically had a team of 50 uh 50 plus and maximum it, it kind of fluctuated as the project began and ended it's kind of like a like a curve um they, they uh, add, sorry they add people as you go or they add people as we go and then uh people start like uh going away as uh we start hitting like uh the last couple deliveries um because then some people even continue working on it uh, after the movie um, 
gets released uh, to work on marketing material or to work on additional stuff that the client wants. And it's different per project. Um, it's yeah. it, sorry. What were you going to say? You were going to say something? Well, no, it's just, it's just interesting because I wonder if they do update any shots after the release. Cause I remember seeing, uh, I think it was Endgame or infinity war. And there was one shot where in the, well, I watched it in theater and there was one shot where, um, I don't know. It looked like the um, the key wasn't really good for like with the hair in the hair, and mm-hmm. I, I noticed that in the in theaters. Um, but then I couldn't find it anymore. It was gone. Like when it was released, you know, like interesting. On, uh, I mean, yeah, sometimes they do go with, in and, with, and yeah. change things. With things but. like with things like keying and and enhancing environments and compositing and stuff like that. If the general audience is not going to notice the change, how could you, how could it, how could you go wrong? You know, like, mm-hmm. it's not like you're taking an actor out after a week of release. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it is yeah. interesting and it doesn't happen too often. Like some, a lot of mistakes still like go through and, and like, um, are released in the DVD versions and Blu-ray versions. Cause the artists working on them are just like, okay, we're, we're done. We're gone. And, uh, it's not important enough or big enough that they want to go back into it and, and dig things up and try to fix them. So it's not, it's not like a super common thing, I don't think, but it does happen. Yeah. So I'm going to pivot a little bit. So with, with compositing, you know, and with a movie like no way home, Right. Uh, With a studio movie in general, perhaps at some point in the process, they're going to commit to a release date. So they're going to say Christmas or they're going to they're going to commit to a release date. So when that happens, right. How would you say your experience in the pipeline that late in the pipeline changes? Is it is it because I imagine there's a lot of work hours and I imagine it's really stressful. And then my sub question to that is how much pressure do you feel knowing that, you know, millions of people are going to see your work on a big screen? Yeah. So there's a bit to unpack there. And so for sure, like you said, for sure. Uh, my job is definitely the, at the very end of the pipeline, um, Nothing happens after compositing in terms of us as a vendor, um, other than it then goes through like color grading and um, and even the sound department is kind of working in conjunction or at the same time with the visual effects studios, from my understanding. So uh, it's not really anyone waiting on uh, on us, and even when we finish a shot the color correction and grading isn't like all of a sudden started once the shot is finished. It's already been like dialed in, in a, like in a sense. And then our work is kind of like, uh, when we work on a shot, we try to maintain as much of the plate as possible, even its values, even if the plate has, um, like inconsistencies, we want to keep it as close to the plate as possible because then the color correction people uh, or the color people in general can um, work with the plate and then take our 
additions as additions, not as complete changes. The, just, um, that's really yeah. interesting because when you mm-hmm. know, from a, from my perspective, it almost feels like color would yeah. play a lot of would play a big role in the actual blending and compositing of a shot. So, you know, there there must be a process. When you say plate, just to clarify for some audience members who might not know what you're talking about, what is that what does that term mean? So plate is the principal photography. Basically whatever came out of the camera. Yeah. Uh that is the plate we're working with. And we won't get too complicated with like no, that's color fine. That's conversions right. yeah. and color spaces and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, essentially the what hits the sensor of the camera, yeah. That image is the plate. Um that's the, what you in start the simplest with. form. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What you start with. And in a lot of cases there is blue screen or green screen uh in it. So they shoot in front of like blue or green or or like some form of that. Uh, and some instances they shoot um, like in normal streets and normal buildings. And then our job is to extend it and making make it feel grander than it is or make it um, make basically the location its own character and its own thing that uh, helps you just like sink into the visuals. Um, so, yeah, there's a couple of versions of what that could look like, but essentially the plate is whatever comes from the camera. And you're right, color plays a huge role in blending things together and making things work. Um, but the thing is, to blend colors together and to make them work, um, you don't need to change the plate. You can match things to the plate. Um, so you don't need to like, sometimes you do need to, uh, but what we try to do as, as much as possible is stick as close to the plate as possible. And then whatever it is that is added onto it or behind it or integrate it in, into it in any way is kind of matched to the plate so that you have a ground truth of like, this is what we want to achieve kind of thing. And there is um a lut basically that is uh attached to every every plate so each plate has a lut of how generally it should be balanced um and you have that on as you uh work and kind of so you're, you're balancing to something it's not so yeah it's not yeah you're not working blind yeah yeah yeah, yeah that makes sense um, so let's talk about the pressure because I, you know, as somebody who doesn't work, um, who has not worked on a $200 million, um, production, um, I can only imagine the kind of pressure. And I mean, I, I, I know that there's, pro- you know, it may be, you know, I'll let you answer, but there's 1600 people. You're not the only person obviously doing this movie. And there's, there's a mm-hmm. bunch of, there's, there's over a thousand people working on this movie. So they all, they all definitely feel some, some sense of pressure, but what kind of pressure do you feel being at the end of the pipeline um, and being part of that team of people who are, whose work, whether they know it or not, people are going to see on the screen. It's a lot of pressure. There's a lot that rides into our job, especially coming at the end of the pipeline. Uh, basically, any mistake that happened along the way, we're responsible for. 
uh, fixing. We're responsible for making sure everything looks okay. And if one thing like messed up along the way, uh, a lot of the time, because of the time crunch and because of the deadline and because we're at the end, so we're closer, we're closest to when the movie is released, it's much more feasible and uh, efficient and realistic for us to fix it than to send it back to where the mistake happened and then have it flow through the pipeline again. So there's a lot that that uh, comes into the pressure and especially with delays because delays are kind of like a reality of a project like this. Are you working all from home or do you go into the studio? So it fluctuated throughout the project. Um, it changes from project I definitely, to project? It does. Uh, but through, even throughout the one project of No Way Home, I started off working completely from home. Then a couple months in, I started doing a hybrid. So uh, going into the office two days of the week um, and then working from home the rest. Uh, and I was fortunate, like very fortunate to be able to do that, actually, because working from home is actually very productive uh, for me. Um, I find it very efficient and very effective in terms of the work itself. But the biggest part that that's missing for, from it is the social aspect. So going into a hybrid situation, like going into the studio a couple of days a week, um, helps a lot with that. Um, and you get to actually interact with people, uh, get to actually like, oh, let's get lunch together. Um, before that point, all my interactions with my team members were uh, through work. Um, so you miss a lot of the social aspect of it. And I had known these people for a year at that point, uh, but without knowing them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. just like, you so know, just through a team's helps. chat or something, you know, yeah. whatever it is that you're working through. Yeah. Um, what is a time, the average timeline like for a movie like No Way Home? Or you also worked on Falcon and the Winter Soldier, right? Um, yeah. You know, that, that, it's not that wasn't that was a tv show right yeah well, yeah it was a yeah, tv so show i'm not, I'm not caught like up i just got disney episode. plus like yesterday <laughs> okay so uh sorry <laughs> no excuses Cameron. Uh, yeah i know no excuses so i'm not caught up yet so uh anyway so what's the timeline like on a big studio movie like no way home versus the timeline on a big studio television show like falcon and the winter soldier the timeline looked uh kind of similar um keep in mind with falcon and the winter soldier i joined in the last three months so i joined when it was already in crunch time and like uh, oh yeah nice when, introduction it, <laughs> yeah nice introduction when I talk about, effect. like uh for us thankfully it's more artist driven so we we know our targets. We know what we need to finish. We know um, how fast the shot is going. And we know the deadline or the when we're expected to deliver the shot. So I can be like, today 
Um, I got the shot this far and it, we need to send it an update to the client in two days. So I'll probably need to work some overtime. So you put in a request. So it's not asked of you. You're more asking for it so that you can make things flow. And how I like how it works like that because uh, artists can actually balance things out and regulate themselves. Um, and as long as there's trust in like both directions, it, it yeah. works beautifully. Well, it's interesting. They put um, some trust yeah. in, in their, in their employees and their artists. And yeah, that, that's, that's really good to see. Cause a lot of companies don't think about it that way in terms of, in terms of days, or in terms of months, how long did No Way Home take? Was it a three, four, five month process? I was on it for six months. You were on it for uh, six. And okay. I and I wasn't at the very beginning of it or anything. Like um, I was at the I was pretty early on uh, when I when I hopped on the project. But before that point, there was a lot of uh, pre production. There was a lot of preparation. There was look development uh, to kind of get um, everything looking uh, the best it can look. There is uh, a lot of the chunk of modeling and creating the characters and uh, the environments and stuff. So when I when I joined, which uh, was six months away from the release, uh, we already had like a couple of shots of hero shots kind of like uh, establishing the look and what we're trying to aim for. Um, but only a few, like five or six. Uh, and then you have like a lot of the assets, um, that you're, that is being lit and then coming to you to composite. So yeah, the project before my point, I'm not sure how long, uh they were on it definitely several months but i don't know exactly in terms of like the timeline it's interesting um, because in this yeah. in this particular movie there are there are characters who are like um i don't want to spoil anything but there are there are characters who are pretty much entirely visual effects yeah, yeah. um and also transformations that are heavy that are heavy in visual effects and how they yeah. are, are done and that and, and there's yeah go ahead and there's more characters that are entirely or almost entirely visual effects than you think too um like one of the biggest things was um tom spider-man um or the main spider-man let's say uh yeah, is yeah. like his Ah, it. All three Spider-Mans come into this. Yeah, yeah. yeah whatever. Okay, just say it. It's too much. It's If you're listening been. to this and you haven't <laughs> seen the movie, you're too far, anyways. <laughs> I'm really curious to know what what the what your favorite part of the job is. Um, what your experience was, positive, negative, neutral on No Way Home. Was it really exciting to work on the movie? And what's your least favorite part about about the job? So start with your favorite. Hey. Start with your favorite part. Um, and, and then do your least favorite. This was such an incredible experience to even be a part of. Um, it was my first, it, it is my first, uh, feature film. Uh, it's my first, um, like big screen release. Um, it's a lot of firsts for me. Uh, and it represents like, 
like a big journey that came beforehand to get to it. And the fact that it's Spider-Man 2 and such a love letter to Spider-Man as a character, um, that meant a lot. And it took a lot of processing to even like understand, hey, this is happening. This is real. Uh, and I'm actually doing this like pinching myself. Uh, when I first heard about it too, I kind of had to process it, like sit down for like 15 minutes and, and just process the fact that, oh, they, at that point, I didn't know if like I was gonna continue working on a following, uh, Imageworks project or not. I was just on Falcon and the Winter Soldier and I had one week, you know, one month left of my contract. And I was like, ooh, maybe I should like start looking at a different studio, start applying more. Um, and then they reached out to me and they were like, well, the comp soup is happy with you and he wants you to come along on the next project. So I'm like, oh, cool. What's the next project? Uh, and then Spider-Man. And I'm like, uh. <laughs> so yeah. it, took me, it took me like 15 minutes of just like, ah, uh, <laughs> just processing it. And uh, yeah, it means, it, it meant so much to me. And my favorite part of it was actually getting to, hmm, my favorite part of it was actually getting to like work on it in, in a very tangible sense. Uh, and work on the characters that I grew up with. Uh, like actually getting to see the three of them on the screen at the same time and getting to like fix things and um, do visual effects that I didn't know how they did it the first time. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's how they did it. And I'm doing it. So it, it was kind of a surreal experience and kind of, very, very interesting, very cool, um, super inspiring, super, like, I was super excited about it. My least favorite part is also related to the excitement because you can't talk about it. You can't express it. It's all, like, bottled up inside and nothing about it you can talk about <laughs> during those six months. So that was my least favorite part of it. Like if you put that alongside of not working with my coworkers in the same place, working from home uh, most of the time. And so you can't even talk to them as much about it in the way that you would be talking about it, like excitedly and stuff. Um so yeah, that that was definitely my least favorite part of it. Closely followed by the time crunch that we were put in. <laughs> yeah. It's it's such a crazy thing to know that one of your closest friends from college is working on a movie like that. And how excited I was when I went into the theater and uh the credits rolled and I was like, "Okay, I got to I'm not just sitting here for the post credit scene. I'm sitting here because I'm gonna see uh, I'm gonna see Elmo's name in a big block of in a big block of names at the end of the at the end of the movie. And it's um, yeah, I know it's crazy. It's 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 amazing. Um, so it's really crazy on this end too. Yeah, I'm really proud of you, <laughs> Thank you. and I, I want you to know that there's probably 
I'm not the only one who's proud of you. We, um, a lot of people over here in Ontario who are, who, uh, saw that movie and are thinking about you. And so good work. Um, at least, you know, somebody, Kevin might've been a bit more critical of the visual effects because uh, he's got a bit more experience than I do. Well, I thought, well, I thought the movie was say, you know, well if, done. If you don't notice that you did a good job. Yeah. Yeah. If you didn't, if you didn't notice, I was kind of, I was kind of looking closer at this one, but, mm. um, you know, I think I thought it was, I thought it was a spectacle. And when, from my end, when my, when the credits were rolling, yeah, my legs were literally like unstable. They were shaking the whole time. I was like, oh, it's, it's going to happen. I, it's, I don't know where my name is going to come up. <laughs> and I almost missed my name the first time. And I actually like, uh, wanted to watch it with like different people or as many people as I could. Um, so I booked tickets to watch it like like three times basically in a very short amount of time so i got to watch it like in different like with different critical eyes each time the first time was purely just okay let me experience this see what how the audience feels see how it connects to the rest of the story because i only knew like what my sequence is um and yeah, it was definitely like an emotional like roller coaster when when it was coming up, and it's not perfect. Did you like notice? No, nowhere, nor yeah. Did you were you like yeah. uh, looking at picking out every shot that you worked on? Yep, I was picking out every shot I worked on. I was also like noticing things that I would have done differently, like in. That's the thing with compositing to or visual effects in general is I feel like nothing is really Finished. unchangeable or like you will always have more that you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, with ten years with ten years of compositing, you can make it perfect or whatever. You know. Well, you can make it work with one or two or three, like it whatever your timeline is, yeah. You'll you you'll find new things that could make the shot better. Um, yeah yeah with more time yeah Yeah, you can make it better yeah Yeah. and and you worked on so while sony's contract was the last 35 minutes of the movie or something the the big fight scene right big fight scene um i don't know it's not the very last but it is like a 35 minute um, was it was it the, the one where like they they all like statue all, of liberty yeah the statue of liberty all three of them come in and and have to um sort of cure, you know, cure them cure them yeah, yeah. yeah cure them and uh get the spider-mans back to their universe which yeah, is uh, which sequel. is a big spoiler <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, we're too far into it yeah, yeah, yeah it's too far into it yeah no i definitely want to have another episode very quickly, tell us a little bit about your high school experience, when you wanted to do visual effects, how that translated into film school, and then how you got to Sony. So what was your pathway and what kind of pathways are out there for people who, who want to um, do what you're doing? Okay. Um, I'll, I'll try to keep it like uh, like as condensed as can be while still like explaining what it is. Um, first, I first wanted to do visual effects, uh, in middle school 
uh, when I first found out what visual effects even is. Um, I was at in Egypt at that time, so there wasn't really a career in visual effects um, on the horizon <laughs> at any point, but it was like, oh, this is something that's super cool. And my favorite aspect of it is problem solving is like you're you're making you're facing so many problems and you have to be creative in the way you solve those problems and that was addictive the, that to me if i look back is one of the things that i love about anything or most things i do like i love rock climbing for example that's basically just physical problem solving you have like two points and you're problem solving your way through it so that aspect of it was just addictive and uh, I just kept uh, doing it in any opportunity that I could throughout middle school, high school, uh, absorbing as much information as I can. There, there's a lot out there. Um, uh, at, at that point, I was doing a lot of um, content from a website called FX PhD. They're really, really good. Um, there's a ton of YouTube channels that I was following that did like YouTube shorts or like uh, tutorials on different things. And I'd try to combine things together and uh, pull things from here, pull things from here, make it like mesh it into something new, um, which led me then to film school uh, where I was establishing basically my foundation. I wanted to understand how a camera works better. I wanted to, uh, understand how the editing process works, like very in depth. Um, I wanted to understand how the sound, sound process works uh, in great depth, um, mainly because the sound department and the editing department are the two main departments I'm working simultaneously with as a visual effects artist. So I wanted to know what they're going through, what benefits them, what benefits me, uh, and kind of be able to understand like a common language uh, and also learning how the camera works, how what, what makes a shot look good, lighting and all that, those aspects of it. Um, and that was basically my focus during film school. And there wasn't really a stream, a strong stream for visual effects. There was like a very weak, uh, like... Um, one year uh, thing that we had. And it, it's understandable because our program was very young at that point. Uh, we were like the third or fourth, I don't even know, uh, the cohorts. Um, but yeah, I didn't really get a lot of formal education from that in terms of visual effects. So that's what took me to um, the school afterwards, which was Lost Boys Studios. That's in Vancouver. So that that instigated my move into Vancouver, basically. Um, and that was a year-long intensive of just compositing, focusing solely on compositing um, and in all its different aspects or as many aspects as we can cover. And uh, that, I'd say, is the strongest learning period of my entire life. Um, and it, it highlighted to me the importance of mentorship, having mentors that actually know what they're doing, know what they're talking about, 
uh, and have the eye to see what your strengths and weaknesses are and what you, where you want to go and how to get you to that point. Um, that those qualities of a mentor were just like expanded in my view in such a way when I went to Lost Boys, because I didn't think mentorship could be that strong or that effective, um, until I, I actually experienced it myself. Um, and yeah, uh, there's a ton of resources to learn online. Um, but I think actually having like mentorship is the strongest and most effective, uh, way and the best way the information actually sticks and you can expand on it, um, was mentorship and finding like that connection and that, uh, relationship in my opinion. Uh, and yeah, after Lost Boys, I went, um, into Sony, worked on Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Spider-Man, and I'm still with Sony on more projects right now. And yeah, that's basically a rundown of... On, on your journey, have you ever, cause there's so many roles in VFX, have you ever considered doing other roles or you only uh, wanted to do compositing? I've definitely considered it. Um, if I was to do a different role, it would probably be more in the effects simulations um, kind of world. Um, but I didn't really um, get a chance to delve too much into 3D um, or like making 3D myself. I'm very like well uh, or very capable in taking 3D uh, renders and um, I understand like the workflows of it, but I haven't really uh, done the 3D like modeling, texturing, shading, like doing the shading, uh, doing the rigging, doing the animation, all those aspects of 3D I haven't touched really or haven't delved too deeply into. Um, and the part that interested me the most from what I haven't delved too deeply into was, um, effect simulations. So like fire, smoke, um, mm -hmm. water, uh, so many different, anything like physics space. Sand. Or but, rigid oh, you sand. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sand. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's it. Lightning. But yeah, yeah, I think compositing was the thing that. I was most drawn to mm. like the main aspect of it was just the problem solving. Yeah. That, that goes back to your, it. yeah, it goes back to mm -hmm. your problem solving thing. And I think with, yeah. uh, you know, it's just really interesting. Cause I think, I mean, every, every area of this industry needs problem solving, but it's so interesting that it's compositing that you're in and you bring up the problem solving because it feels like to me they're very analogous in the sense that with compositing you you're blending things together right and you're making sure that they mesh and that's the essence of problem solving right is you know if there's two things that are in conflict with one another or aren't aren't always two elements that are brought together you know you have to do the work to make sure that they can work together so that's it's very, it works so well that it makes so much sense from that perspective that problem solving is kind of what brought you here. And, um, yeah, so thanks for sharing your, your, um, 
your education experience and your pathway. And there's there, I imagine there are multiple pathways, you know, not everybody has to come from film school necessarily, but, um, you know, Kevin has a similar pathway, you you know, uh, where'd you go? You went Centennial, right? Yeah. Um, and so, and you did like, it was a year, right? No, it was two years, but their their VFX program was more of, um, like generalist where, or they would go into different, uh, fields. Um, they yeah. yeah but but compositing was like the biggest one because yeah they're they're also looking to hire people like the 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 professors are always looking to hire people so and they usually hire a lot of compositors so. yeah um, yeah yeah so like as teacher assistants kind of thing uh yeah well the, or, the people who who worked there were also working i mean the, te- the mm, teachers were, were working um so you can tell like they, they were asking questions of like what we wanted to do in life and stuff like that <laughs> like they wanted, they were it's just like kind of like, it's like, it's like a job interview. It's, yeah, it's a two year job interview. A two year job. Yeah, two year job interview. <laughs> All right. <laughs> thanks. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We had a great yeah. time chatting. Man, we need a part two. We need a part two. We had a great we time do need a part yeah. chatting about No Way Home. Check us out next time. Look out for um, episode, uh, you know, part two of uh, Visual Effects and No Way Home. And we'll maybe expand the discussion. We'll talk about some characters next time um, in, in No Way Home, but we'll expand the discussion to talk about Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man and some other Spider-Mans uh, far, far from home, No Way Home. Mm-hmm. So we can talk about the uh, John Watts trilogy. Maybe even that when exists. Multiverse comes and, out. Um, yeah. like in eight, end May, of March or May? May, or May? May? Oh, it's May, April right? or May when, when Doctor Strange comes out. I'm really excited for it's that. May, yeah. May, okay. May 3rd or 7th or something yeah, like yeah. that. I on imdb i'm pretty sure so we'll see what happens we'll probably time it with the release of uh doctor strange multiverse of madness we can kind of have a big discussion there and you know who knows it'll be this will become our own trilogy of of, oh of episodes but we'll kind of sprinkle it out so uh yeah so as i said at the beginning of the episode frameworks available on spotify apple podcasts google podcasts you can check out our uh, social media we are on instagram we haven't really spread it out but hopefully by the time this episode comes out We've got more content on our Instagram. It is a YouTube show. So if you want to watch and comment and engage, check us out on YouTube. Email is rcepodcast at gmail.com. R-C-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. I have said it incorrectly before. There's no S at the end of podcast. (laughs) Have a good evening, Elmo. Thank you so much um, for, for joining us. Um, and, uh, we will, we'll talk again very soon. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it.